Um, we have one of my favorite guest speakers today, uh, Stephen Facchetti. Uh, he is here with his wife, Erin, and their little, cute, adorable son, Gene. Uh, so please help me welcome Stephen. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay. So today, we're going to be digging in a little bit, looking at one of the parables of Jesus. Um, as you know, so the Gospels are filled with these stories, these parables that Jesus tells kind of wherever he goes. They're almost always really cryptic. There's always a lot of meaning, a lot of message going on, but it's usually underneath the surface. In fact, a lot of times the, Jesus would tell a story and then his disciples would follow it up saying, I don't know what that means or, or need it explained to them because there are always these sort of cryptic messages. So today we're going to look at what is one of the shortest parables. It may be the shortest parable in the Bible. Don't mind my one and a half year old. He's back there banging around. Apologize. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so we're looking at a parable called the parable of the mustard seed that we find in the book of Mark. Um, it's found in three of the four Gospels, but we're looking at Mark's version. To start off, I have to be honest with you guys about something. So whenever Ryan asks me to come preach, come speak here, I'm always really, really excited to do it. It's always something I'm really looking forward to. And this was no different. Ryan asked me to come talk, and I was, I was really excited. And then he told me what the passage was that I was going to be talking about, and I wasn't. Um, see, let me explain a little bit. It's not, that the, it's not that the text for today is problematic, or that it's long, or that it's difficult, or anything like that. In fact, I think it's, for me, it was a little bit of the opposite. Let's look at the text, let's read it, and then I'll try to explain maybe where I was coming from and, and where I came from. So we're, we're looking here in Mark, uh, Mark 4, 30 through 34, the parable of the mustard seed. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable do we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke this word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Word of God. Okay, so I'm not sure how many of you grew up in church or not. Um, I grew up, I also grew up in Catholic church. I grew up going to Catholic youth groups in the 90s, in this era when there were like WWJD bracelets everywhere and all of these really short, cute, unique slogans for, for Jesus and things like that. And when I hear this, I think of one thing. When I hear the parable of mustard seed, and it's the picture that we have up here. I don't know if you guys have ever seen one of these. I saw a lot of them, I feel like, in the 90s. So this is a necklace, and it's a piece of clear acrylic, and inside the center of that is a mustard seed. And where I was living in the Midwest, these were kind of everywhere. I've heard this parable explained dozens of times, and it usually always comes with the same explanation. See, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, but it grows up to be this giant plant and this great tree. Therefore, God can use small things to do big things. It's kind of it. Otherwise put, right, big things have small beginnings, 
kind of done. And that's always kind of all I heard about this sermon. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently, there's no issue with, with that. It's just, for me, when I was looking at this text and this writing this talk here, it, it was a bit easy. It was a bit simple. And one thing I know about Jesus and the stories that he told and the, the sayings that he has is they're almost never simple. And they're almost never easy. There's usually something going on underneath the surface that is problematic, that's a bit subversive, and that's usually pretty risky. And this just, it didn't seem that at first. But then as I dug in a little bit and I started to read about this and I started to learn about this, it kind of opened up for me in a totally different way. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. So first, mustard? Let's talk about mustard. So the plant Jesus is referring to here is what we would call black mustard. Um, here's a picture of it. So it starts off as that very small seed, about a millimeter wide, about the size of a dot that you would put on a piece of paper. But then when it grows, it's about 10 to 12 feet tall. It's a very, very tall plant. And here's, I don't know, some guy in. Um, this is what mustard looks like as a flower. Uh, we'll pause on this picture for just a little bit here. Um, so similarly to today, the ancient people, the people in the ancient Near East, really valued mustard. They would grind up the seeds and they would use it as a condiment just like we do today. They would actually, they would also use the oil for things like cooking for medicinal purposes. Um, you could rub it on the chest and use it like a, like a vapor rub when somebody was sick. They would like boil the leaves and use them in stews and in salads. There's a, there's a man named Pliny the Elder who lived around the time of, just after Jesus was, uh, was killed, about 33 to 70 AD, and he wrote this big natural history book where he wrote that mustard was really beneficial for the health and that they used it to make a relish. They would boil it down in saucepans and things like that. So certainly Jesus is speaking about a plant that was really well known to everybody, a plant that had meaning in the society that he was in. But there's something else that Pliny wrote about mustard that really stood out to me. He wrote, it grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free from it, as the seed when it falls germinates at once. <clears throat> now, I said I grew up in the Midwest. I didn't grow up here in California. I grew up outside Chicago and we had, my parents had a house with a fairly large yard and all around the yard my mom had these flower beds. And one of her favorite things to do every year was to plant flowers and annuals and different things in the flower beds. So every spring she would take the minivan, she would take out the seats and she would go down and she would load it up with bags of soil and she'd load it up with all these flats of plants and then Part of my job when I was a little kid was also helping to plant all of these flowers and put down the mulch and all this kind of stuff. But of course, if, if anybody's ever planted flowers or kept a garden, you know that that's not where the story ends because after you plant, you have to maintain. And part of my, one of my chores, especially when I was in trouble, which was a lot, was to spend my Saturdays pulling weeds out of the garden. And we would do all sorts of things. We would put down weed killer. They, my mom bought this canvas at one point that you would cut holes in and you would put it around the flowers. But no matter what you put down, the weeds would always just keep coming back. And as soon as you pulled one the next week, the next week there was a guarantee that there were going to be more weeds there. You just, you can never get rid of them. I mean, why do I tell it? Sure, I have a little bit of baggage around gardening, but I think that this is what the people that Jesus is talking to would have understood 
when he told this parable. You see, mustard in the Middle East is not just a plant used for cooking. It's a weed. It's a weed that grows everywhere, all over the hillside. We have a, a picture here. So this is a field of mustard in the Middle East. There's another picture here right after this one as well of a field, and all of that yellow is black mustard. It grows very rapidly. It takes over everything. And it, it's a weed. It's, it's just kind of found everywhere. Here's a little bit of other facts about mustard. A typical mustard plant produces, each plant produces thousands of seeds. Now the seeds, they sprout earlier than the seeds of other plants, which give it a significant advantage in early competition for things like water and nutrients. The seeds that it produces actually get produced earlier so that they can land in the ground and take root before the other plants even have a chance to get seeds going. When the raisins come, the, the outer coating of the mustard seed actually becomes really sticky. And so as animals come and birds come, it sticks to the animals and the birds, and then it spreads really far because it can travel, unlike the other seeds. And above this, the mustard seed also has this ability to lie dormant for years if there's a drought. A single seed can just stay there, and then as soon as the water comes, all of a sudden it brings life. So it has all of these advantages to it that create this environment in which it can grow really rapidly. It actually grows, uh, over the course of just two or three weeks, it'll grow several feet in height from the time that it's planted. It's unstoppable. It's this unstoppable plant in the ancient years. Even today, the places where mustard grows wild, with our modern technology, it's very, very hard to get rid of. The Talmud, which is this ancient Jewish commentary on the text of the Old Testament, actually had some rules about prohibiting mustard being planted in Jewish gardens. You weren't allowed to plant it. It said, no, no kind of seed may be sown in a garden bed, but any kind of vegetable may be sown. Mustard and small beans are considered seeds. So it had a special place where it said, you, you can't put it in your garden, because if you did, it would kill all the other plants. It would kill all the other vegetables and take over everything. So this growth, this understanding of what mustard was, this would have been intimately familiar to the people that were hearing this message. The people, remember, the people that Jesus is talking to are usually farmers, they're peasants, they're not the rich people who, who live up in the castle, you know, or live in the houses, they're people who worked the fields and who lived in the land. You can even imagine that as they're sitting in the grass, there could have been mustard planted around them or just growing around them, wild like a weed. This is something they would not have expected to hear, though. This is something that would have been familiar but not expected. What would have been expected would have been for Jesus to say, the kingdom of heaven is like the great cedar of Lebanon. There's a type of tree that grew back then called the cedar of Lebanon, and it grew to be two to three hundred feet tall. It was like... Um, it was the tallest of all trees, the mightiest of all trees, and it's used in the Old Testament in a few places, including in Ezekiel, to, uh, to talk about the kingdom of God as this mighty warrior and this, this great power that couldn't be overtaken. Ezekiel also says that he, uh, there's a point in Ezekiel where God says that he's going to take and he's going to plant a cedar on top of a mountain. And he concludes that with saying, under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches, they will nest, winged creatures of every kind. 
So Jesus is making allusions here to other places in the Bible where we talk about the kingdom of God as a plant, as a tree, but he's turning it on his head, on its head. Something that we see Jesus do a lot in the time that he's teaching. Taking things that would have been known to people and making them very unknown or unexpected all of a sudden. One other thing about mustard in the ancient time is that it, it's known, if you've ever had like just mustard greens, it's known for its like potency. It's very sharp taste, almost like a, a spicy flavor. In the days around the Roman Empire, it was used also as a sign of power. There's this story where Darius, who's the king of the Persians, invades Europe, and he's met by Alexander the Great. It's back in sort of Old Testament time, right? So Darius wants to show his power, so he sends Alexander the Great this bag of sesame seeds as a taunt. He's trying to say, like, our soldiers are as numerous as these sesame seeds. There's just hundreds of them. There's so many, you're not even going to be able to believe it. Alexander, in turn, sends back a bag of mustard seeds with a message, you may be many, but we are powerful, and we can handle you. And they did. The, the intimidation worked. So Jesus here is telling the Roman Empire, we don't need to be the powerful, the mighty, the cedar tree to overcome your empire. We don't need armies and war and power and might to stand up to you and to bring the kingdom of God here to the people on earth. We're going to do that as a bunch of weeds. as a small plant that just grows and creeps along the ground. That's what the revolution of Jesus is like. The subtle, creeping, consistent growth of the people of God. It's not the powerful and mighty kingdom that the listeners were expected, but the same, it's not the powerful and mighty kingdom that the, that the listeners of Jesus at the time were expected, were expecting. And ultimately, as we know, this is what got him killed because he showed up and he announced that the kingdom of God was coming, but not like a battle, not like the people were expecting, right? The kingdom is also not this reward that we have that, that's waiting for us in heaven. That's one of the things that we hear possibly about the kingdom of God. But instead, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here, that he's saying is coming, that it's near, it's here, it's a kingdom of social justice. It's a kingdom of justice in this world. It's a way of living in the world that frees people from oppression, where the poor can be cared for, where everybody is, is open at the table. It's, this is the kingdom that Jesus proclaims over and over again that is coming to the world. The same is true today about this story as was 2,000 years ago. See, the kingdom of God that Jesus preached about, this kingdom of justice, it attracts what some people would consider to be the weeds of the world, right? It attracts people who are poor, it attracts people who are refugees. It attracts people who have no power, no money. It attracts people who are in alternative communities, the LGBT community. It attracts people that many in political power, many in the government would call the weeds of the world, the undesirables of the world, not the mighty, powerful cedar trees that we would want. But when the reality of the kingdom of God starts to take root amongst the people, it can't help but spread. One of the things about the kingdom of God is that it's not just the people who follow Jesus that get affected by it. It's everybody around. It's everybody in the world that gets affected by it. See, the whole world benefits by the work that we do in the name of Christ. 
Jesus says that the mustard plants are so big that birds will find nests in them. Now, these plants get big, but they don't get nesting big. They don't get that big. They're not trees that we're talking about. And yet, Jesus insists that birds will find shade and shelter in them. Similarly, the people of the world find help, comfort, and better lives through the embodiment of the kingdom in us, in the people of God. See, there's a story that I read this week from the ancient Roman Empire where there's this ruler in Rome named Julian. He was an emperor. And he looks out and he sees the ways that the Christians in the Roman Empire are taking care of people. And he sees that these small group of Christians are doing a better job at caring for the poor and the sick and the widows and the orphans in the community than his vast Roman Empire with all their power and with all their money are able to do. And he sees this and he gets really, really frustrated. He says that, he, he gets really annoyed and says, how is it possible that these people, these Christians, can do what we, the powerful empire, are unable to do? The care that they expected around them was so powerful that it changed the way that the Roman Empire did their work. It inspired the way that the empire itself was able to help take care of people, and it affected people not just within that community, but all throughout the Roman Empire. This is what the work of the kingdom of God does. This is what the work of us who help people, who care for the oppressed, who care for the widows and the orphans and the outsiders and the left behind in the name of Jesus this is what it does. It can't help but spread. It can't help but grow and take over. Let me close here with one of my favorite quotes on the kingdom of God. Part of being a Christian who insists that one good God made this one good world is asking why there's so much unjust suffering and evil in it. The kingdom of God is an answer to this question, emphasizing God's actions to fulfill God's promises. Within the Hebrew scriptures, there's no clear answer to the problem of evil. But the people of Israel insist that their God will remain faithful and that despite the evidence to the contrary, God is good. Unlike other prophets, Jesus did not foretell God's coming kingdom as a complete break with the present world. Instead, through the work of Jesus, the world as it is was being introduced to the world as it will be when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. May we be encouraged by this sermon. May we read this sermon and, and be encouraged to move forward with a renewed sense of purpose, of passion, of confidence, of attitude, and of courage to do the work that Jesus calls us to do, the work of justice, the work of saying to the oppressive powers of the world, we don't have to be mighty or powerful to overcome this world. We don't have to be a mighty cedar tree. We don't have to be the most powerful to overcome the racism, the discrimination, the sexism, the homophobia, to overcome these issues that we're facing in the world. Tiny beginnings are where we find our tiny beginnings are where we find ourselves when we start to do the work of justice. Both justice ecologically in the world trying to care for our planet and justice for others and the oppressed in the world, we find ourselves in an area that can easily be discouraged by the world around us. 
in an area where we're finding so many voices around us telling us that our work doesn't matter, telling us that we're not going to make an impact, or telling us that the direction that we're headed in is not the correct direction. It's easy to get discouraged sometimes when we're doing this work, the work of Jesus. But as we do, may we continue to be renewed, continue to be encouraged to do this work. Be like the mustard seed, this wild contagion with health benefits, with nourishment benefits, but just this weird wild weed that grows throughout the world, a weed of justice and care, a sign of upside-down power. May we continue to creep, to grow, and continue to bring about that kingdom of God as earth, on earth as it is in heaven.